Okay, so uh, maybe you've heard this song before. It's also known as the Pina Colada song. But Rupert Holmes, he was a pretty established um, person in the arts business, not only just music. He also received the two-time um, award, Edgar Award, for AMC's most popular uh, TV series called Remember When. Um, Escape is also known as the Pina Colada song, and it's his most successfully commercial, commercially successful uh, commercially successful song. It topped the charts in the United States and was the final song in the 1970s to do so. So this is a big deal. Escape is an interesting song to say the least. It starts by describing this man's lack of contentment in his marriage. The opening lyrics, they read, I was tired of my lady. We've been together too long, like a worn out recording of my favorite song. It's in this moment while he's laying next to his wife where he picks up the paper. And there's an ad that reads, um, someone looking for love. This is what the ad reads, the ever, ever so catchy chorus. If you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, if you're not into yoga, if you have half a brain, if, you're like, if you like making love at midnight in the dunes on the Cape, then I'm the love you've looked for, write me an escape. The song continues, this man writes this lady in the ad, and they actually end up meeting in a bar. This lady walks into the bar, makes eye contact with this man, and they both can't believe it. It's his wife that walks through the door. And so the lady is the one who wrote the ad, and then the guy is following through with the ad. The irony of this song and the moral is that the person they were looking for was right in front of them all along. Though this is a bad love story, its lyrics and its message ring true of how our culture looks at love today. If you aren't happy, look elsewhere. Follow your heart. You deserve to be happy, right? What if I told you that the human condition of the heart is not something you should follow or trust at all? What if I told you that your heart outside of Christ will only leave you wandering further away, feeling more hopeless and even more broken than before? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the gift of eternal life that we have in him. Lord, I thank you for your word and how it's alive and how it's active, Lord, and how it meets us where we are in the seasons of life that we're in. Lord, and I just pray a prayer prayer of blessing over us today as we enter into your scriptures, Lord. May we receive it with an open heart, willing to change. Lord, and give us opportunities to respond, to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we love you. And we praise you. And all God's people said, amen. Man, if you missed last week, you missed a great sermon that Ben Allen preached. He set us up for success in this series, Praising Through the Psalms. He, he, he showed us why reading the Psalms is important. He stressed that we should read the Psalms. And so I'd like to take a moment and give Ben Allen a round of applause for uh, not only him, but for God blessing us with him. And so let's do that. And like I said, Ben Allen did a good job. He told us that the Psalms are different than any other book in the Bible because they are a collective work. They're 150 different songs and and poems from various different authors written written from across various different kings and reigns in the lifespan of the nation of Israel. And though this is a case, all these different documents are collected together in an intentional and cohesive work. The Psalms, as Ben Allen so beautifully put it, are poetic meditations on the full revelation of God. And they take on their truest meaning in Christ. The, Psalms and, the psalmist and David know who their God is, 
And they meditate on his word day and night. And they're compelled to respond, and so they write and they sing. This morning, we're going to look at a well-known psalm that is one of the few psalms where we actually know the context in which it was written. Psalm 51. It's a psalm that is often turned into wall art or cross-stitched on pillows. Maybe you've reposted it on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. It's psalm, it reads this humble plea. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast not your presence from me. Take or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Man, reading these three verses gives me chills. The reality is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've hurt people. We've said things we regret. We've done things when we look at ourselves in the mirror we're not proud of. And this plea from David, this cry to the Lord for mercy, hits really close to home for us. Psalm 51 is a lament song. David is sorrowful and he repents and he asks for forgiveness. David was a young shepherd boy. Here's a picture for you. That's probably exactly what he looks like, I'm pretty sure. Um, and he, like I said, he's small, he's scrawny, and God chose him to be anointed as king and to supersede King Saul. David was around 30 years old when he reigned as king in Israel, and he served for about 40 years, so that's, that's a pretty long time. But this is where we're going to focus today, because God's word says this often, that David was a man after God's own heart, meaning that he chased after what God desired of him, not what he desired. He was unlike any of the kings or judges before. Scripture often says that these leaders, these people, did what was right in their own eyes, not the Lord's. King David was different. God's word says in 2 Samuel 5.10 that David became greater and greater for the Lord, for the God of hosts was with him. And so if this is true, that David was a man after God's own heart, how do we become men and women who chase after God's heart as well? How do we align our heart with God's? And if we're being honest, our hearts don't normally, don't naturally align with his. You know, we often wake up and the first thing we grab for is our phone. When we get out of bed, we think, what do I want to eat? What do I need to do to get ready for the day? Do I need to brush my teeth, shower? What should I wear? What, what do I need to remember to take with me or pick up on the way? Man, our world constantly revolves around us and what we want. So how do we change this narrative? How do we make our lives revolve less around us and more around him, our sustainer, our creator, our refuge, our shield, and our strength? The answer is found in God's word. That's why I'm here. But I would encourage you guys to read along with me. And I often tell my students to do three things when we study scripture, and I would encourage you to do this as well. Uh, I would like you guys to have an open Bible this morning. Now, maybe you have it on your phone, but I would encourage you, if you do have it on your phone, grab the, the Bible in front of you. I actually want physical copies open today. Um, I, just, I believe that God's word speaks to us. It meets us where we are. It, it divides our soul and spirit. And so I know that there's power in having this book open in front of us. The second thing I like to tell my students is to have an open heart. Man, God's word says in James chapter 1, if you, if you read God's word, if you understand it, but you don't put it to practice, it's like a man looking in the mirror, turning away and forgetting what he looks like, right? And so if we open God's word and we don't leave change today, then we shouldn't have even come in the first place. And lastly, I would like you to have a pen in hand. 
I know not everyone's a note taker, but if you would pull out your phones, write something down that you feel like the Lord is speaking to you, I guarantee that he will. And so as we do that, let's commit to those things together as we dive in to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it's going to set us up for success when we're looking at our psalm towards the end today. And as you're turning there, I'm going to tell you about Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He attended Bishop Lewers High School. Jalen was a tremendous athlete. He played basketball. He ran track. He played football. And in his senior year of high school, he was named Mr. Football for the whole state of Indiana. And he was awarded the best high school linebacker in the country. Now, that's a big deal. Jalen decided to continue his education and athletic career at the University of Notre Dame. And in 2013, Jalen won the starting linebacker position and ended up starting as a freshman. And he actually played all 13 games. He recorded 67 tackles, one forced fumble, three pass deflections, and one interception. The following year, he also played all 13 games and he recorded almost double the amount of tackles, 3.5 sacks, two deflections, and one forced fumble. And in his junior season in 2015, he played all 13 games once more with 115 tackles, one sack, five deflections, two fumble recoveries, and one forced fumble. And this guy was all over the field. And then the biggest game all year came around, the Fiesta Bowl. Notre Dame was taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes, and it was in this game where Jalen's life was going to change drastically. At around eight minutes in the first quarter, Jalen was pushed from the side. He was twisted around, and he landed on his leg, and he had tore his ACL and his LCL. Jalen had never been injured up to this point, and his words were, why now? He's about to enter into his senior year. He's about to enter into the draft the following year. Man, he had everything going for him. Jalen also, he had this severe nerve damage because of the injury which he developed this condition that was called drop foot. And so his left foot could not even be picked up for more than a year and a half. And this was the case for Jalen, but he had a positive attitude. He prepared himself mentally for this possibility because the reality was he plays football. He knew it was going to happen. Jalen had everything going for him, all these successes, awards, honors, and opportunities. And it was when everything was going great when things took a turn for the worse. Like Jalen Smith, King David had everything going for him. David was the most successful king in all of Israel's history. For 200 plus years, Israel was harassed by the, these people called the Philistines, and David defeated them. He also defeated Moab, Ammon, and Syria, and it was in the middle of all of David's successes that Satan tempted him. You guys probably know this story well, but just for our reference, I would like to read it together this morning. 2 Samuel, I'm going to start in verse 2, and we read through verse 5. David, he's just decided to stay home. He sent out his armies to go defeat the Ammonites, and then this is what happens. Late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch, he was walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And, the one, and one said, this, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she, she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Man, and you guys thought the Bible was boring. 
right? This is better than any Netflix original or series on Hulu. David has just sent out his armies to take on the Ammonites, and he decides to stay home in Jerusalem. David finds himself alone. He walks out to his balcony where he sees a beautiful woman. Long story short, David ends up calling this woman over. She sleeps with him. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant, and then David decides to cover up his sin. And if you guys have ever done this before, tried to cover up something you've done, it usually doesn't turn out in your favor. One lie leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another, and you hurt people more than you even intended. David's lust turned into adultery. His adultery turned into deceit. His deceit turned into murder. The apostle James wrote these words, and I think they're, they're true today. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. David, this man after God's own heart, who has been very successful up to this point, has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And probably the most important verse in this text is verse 27. And this displeased the Lord. And man, I wonder where your heart is this morning. I wonder if your faith is built on a feel-good, once-a-week obligation, or if it's built on a risen Savior. The truth of the matter is, your faith can only go as far as you extend it. In the words of Jesus, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them to practice will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Friends, if we build our faith on our own hearts, on our own desires, on our own gifts, great will be our falls. Satan will swoop in when we least expect it, when things are the best that they have ever been, and then boom. It will be taken away in an instant. She will die. He will be taken away. They will get sick. Finances will swallow you up. You won't get the job. The pressure will become too much. But when we build our faith on God's heart, on his desires, on his provisions, then we will not fall. Joseph's words after being thrown into slavery by his own family will ring true for us today. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant for our good. So where's your heart? What are you building your desires on? Because there's a God and there's a Savior who knows what's best for you, whose ways and thoughts are bigger than ours, and he's waiting for you to come home. After all this went down for David, his best friend called him out. 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 6. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There are two men, one in a certain city, one rich and the other poor, The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd and prepare for the guests who had come to him. And so he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man, and he said to Nathan, Surely as the Lord lives, this man has This man deserves to die. 
And he shall, receive, he shall restore the lamb fourthfold because he has done this thing and because he has had no pity. And we all need friends like Nathan. He was a prophet, but also a close friend of David. He tells him this story about two men, one rich and one poor. Little did David know that Nathan was telling the story to show David that he was actually this rich man. And then Nathan states in verse 7, you are that man. Man, imagine how David feels in this moment, one second furious about how someone could do something so horrible, and then the next realizing he's looking at himself in the mirror. This reminds me of a similar story that happened to me recently. A couple weeks ago, my parents were in town from Texas, and this was the first time they had been back since I had been hired on here. And so I was able to spend one Saturday morning fishing with my dad. Now, obviously, don't, don't let these pictures fool you. I am not a fisherman by any means, but my dad is. He loves it, and I love spending time with my dad, and so therefore I fish, right? And any of the, if you guys have ever fished before, we were fishing for bass, and we, we decided to use topwater lures. And if, you, if you've ever used lures before on top of the water, and you usually try to fish under hanging trees, okay? And so... Obviously, as we're getting into this canoe and we're going up to the shoreline, I'm the one that gets my lures caught in the trees, in the brush, in the moss. Anything you can think of, I probably caught it that wasn't a fish. And I remember we would go for a little bit. I'd fish and I'd catch something. I'd be like, Dad, we gotta, we gotta stop. We gotta go get, get it untangled. Or we continue on, and then shortly after, I'd do it again. And one time, I caught the tree and I tried to get it out and that was bad news and so it wrapped around the tree 10 times man it was just it was a mess and I know my dad he's one of the most patient guys I know not quickly tempered not easily frazzled or annoyed but as a but as an experienced fisherman I could see how he could become frustrated with me catching my line on anything and everything that wasn't a fish but he didn't he was gracious he was kind he was patient with me and the, reality, the reality was that I was missing the mark. I was failing to do the task that we went out there to do. But the funny and humbling thing was, he was also falling short too. Because we had been fishing in this new place, he was also catching his line on trees and moss and sticks. Man, he's been fishing more times than I have even breathed breaths in my life. Yet we were still doing the same thing. My dad and I spent a lot, of, uh, a lot of our times unhooking ourselves from these trees during this fishing trip, but it made us realize how none of us could point the finger at each other. We both had messed up. We both had sinned. Friends, when it comes to the Christian walk, before we do anything else, we have to come to the re realization that we aren't all that. And I want to do something this morning to put this to practice. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them they're not all that. Go ahead to do it. I need to hear it too. The truth is we've all fallen short. We all have sinned. And that we are no better than anyone else in this room. And David realizes it in this moment. Verse 13, David confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And don't worry, you won't die. And notice that David confesses, I have sinned against the Lord. Not I have sinned against Bathsheba or against Uriah. 
I have sinned against the Lord. He understands the weight of his decision. He owns up to his sin. He calls it what it is. I wonder how our lives would look different if we simply owned up to our sin like David and forgave other people like God has forgiven us. I think we would hurt each other less and we would love each other more. Would you agree? Nathan reassures David that he will not die like this rich man. He reassures him of God's grace, his favor on him. And I want to tell you guys this. Look at me. I want to see your faces. That nothing you ever do or don't do or don't say will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But your sin has consequences. Later in verses 14 and 15, we see David, we see his sin has lethal consequences. It led to his son dying. The truth is our sin is never individual. It's always communal. Our sin doesn't just affect us. It affects those around us. Those whose parents struggle with alcoholism, you know their sin doesn't just affect them. It affects you. Those of you who have been through a divorce or are a product of divorce, you know that it affects more than just those two parties. It affects those families. Those of you who have been hurt by words of someone who you thought was your friend, their sin affects you. We get the point. God is about to show David and us today how this is true. And in verse 20, David's son does end up dying. But David's response is to go to the house of the Lord. And then the text says he went home. And we'll get back to that later. David truly trusts the Lord here. We, he knows that he can't do anything to bring his son back, but he does trust the Lord that whatever's next, the Lord will work out for his good. And this is a great story. But how do we become like David? A man after God's own heart, someone who falls short time and time again, but who gets right back up and who takes, it, takes what is thrown at them for, as a blessing and not a curse. And just as Ben Allen's main point last week was simple and true, the answer to this question is as well. To be men and women after God's own heart, we must repent well. To be men and women after God's own heart, we must acknowledge where we have fallen short and repent. This Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which means to change one's mind or to rethink. It's this old army term that was used in warfare that would be shouted when one army is overcoming another. Repent, repent, turn around, go home. I like to think of repentance as a change of heart, as a change of direction, heading home. And so when you hear this word, I'd like you to think of turning around, changing your heart, and going home. And so how do we repent well? And this is where our psalm comes in, Psalm 51. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, you spent a lot of time talking about all this other stuff. But I think it's important that we understand the context because this psalm speaks for itself. It really does. And remember, the psalms are meditations of the full revelation of God, and they take on their truest meaning in Christ. And so as we read this psalm, may we echo this prayer in our own hearts. And I want you guys to feel free to close your eyes as I read this psalm. It won't be on the screen for you. So if you want to have it open in your Bibles, you can do that as well. But just receive this psalm and think about David's situation that we just read about. And these are his words. This is his response to his sin. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth and the in, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O God, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Well, just imagine if this was our prayer every day. Just imagine if this was our heart, aware enough to admit our sin, humble enough to ask for a new heart completely, and bold enough to respond differently next time we were tempted to sin. David, in verse 1, he makes this appeal before God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Have mercy is begging language. And I can just picture David on his knees after this sin, begging the Lord. And this word steadfast love is covenant language. And so David is begging God to blot out or to wipe away his sins based on God's faithfulness in the past. And then he continues in verse 2 by asking for washing and cleansing. And in verses 3 and 5, we see this great confession. Against you, you only, I have sinned. Notice David's change of heart here from how can I cover my tracks in 2 Samuel to how could I have done this to the Lord in this psalm. And then David asks again for some type of restoration by pleading for God to give him wisdom, to cleanse him, to restore him, to hide his sins. And in verse 10 and 12, we see the heartbeat of this psalm. Create in me a new heart, God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And this word for create is David asking for a miracle. He's asking God to do something in him that only God can do. To form something from something new from the deepest parts in him. In Proverbs 4.23, we see this about the heart, that it's the wellspring of life, that everything we do flows from it. In the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart means everything from the center of your being. It's who you are. And so David asked for, in, the, in verse 12, he asked a really tough ask of God. He asked him to give him joy in his deepest, darkest sorrow. He's not asking for a joy that saves him from a situation. He's asking for a joy that saves him from eternal damnation. David then closes out this psalm by relaying his correct response to God's grace. And it's worship. Lord, open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise. Man, this is all nice and all, and I do think that it lays out for us a good example of how we should repent. But why does it matter? Why does chasing after God's heart matter, and why should it be something we desire? Think about this. This prayer of repentance from David is way before Jesus, yet he's praying for God to have mercy on him, to wash away his sins, to make him as white as snow, to blot out his transgressions, and to restore his joy. If this is David's prayer without having a Savior, how much more is our joy restored knowing that our sin has already been taken care of in Christ? 
How much more does it mean to us knowing that these things are true of us today, that we are cleansed, that we are white as snow, that we are restored, renewed, and saved? Man, this song, it rings with Messiah language way before the Messiah was even promised. And if we believe the Psalms to be meditations of the full revelation of God and they take on their truest meaning in Christ, then this Psalm is a picture into what life with Christ looks like. And so my challenge for you, Christian, is to repent well. Repent well this week. Ben Allen last week encouraged you to read the Psalms. And my challenge for you this week is to pray the Psalms. The Psalms teach us how to pray, how to approach a holy God. And so my challenge for you is to pray Psalm 51 every single night this week, right before bed. Open up Psalm 51, pray it over. If you feel led to confess in that moment, I would encourage you to do that. And I want you to see if your heart changes, if your desires start to change this week, because I guarantee you they probably will. And it lays out for us in the Psalms that we must first admit our sin, admit where we've fallen short of his glory and call it out. And then we see we must ask for a new heart, to ask God to create a miracle inside of us by giving us a new heart. And lastly, we see we must act differently next time based on the gift we have received. And it's interesting that David commits a sin, he repents, and his response in verse 14 is evangelism. He's ready to bring people to know the Savior that he now knows. And then it says later in verse 15 that my mouth will declare your praise. To be men and women after God's own heart, we must repent well. And to repent means to come home. God intended us to be with him in perfect harmony and unity, and sin separated us from him. And because of Jesus' faithfulness to death on a cross, we now can come back home to the place where God created us to be, in his presence where there's no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, this place called home. Friends, the Christian life is all about repentance continually coming back to the cross again and again, realizing that you aren't all that and that you are indeed in need of a Savior. Man, if you've never professed Jesus as Lord of your life, we see in the book of Acts, it's pretty simple. You repent and you be baptized. Man, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe the Lord has been pulling on your heart through various things that have happened to you this week. But I want to encourage you, Dee's going to be over here on the side. I will be over here. Maybe, maybe you've already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Man, that's awesome. That's great. Maybe you just need someone to pray for, for you. We would love to do that as well. Man, I want to end with this. I want to ask you this question again. Where's your heart? What are you building your desires on? Because there's a God and there's a Savior that knows what's best for you whose ways and whose thoughts are better than your own, and he's waiting for you to come home. And so will you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. The, the truth is we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of your glory. Lord, we've done things that we regret. We've, we've done things out of anger, out of hurt, out of the things that have happened to us, Lord. And I don't know everyone's story in this room, but you do. Lord, in the deepest 
desires of our heart that are ugly, that are unworthy, that make us sick? Lord, those things we've done years ago that keep haunting us to this day, Lord, may, may you break those walls down. May you break those chains. May we have hearts that are willing to say, Lord, I'm sorry and I want you, what you want for me. Lord, create in us a new heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within us. Cast your presence not from us. Take not your Holy Spirit from us, Lord. And most of all, restore our joy, the joy of our salvation. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we're so thankful for Jesus. Lord, help us repent well this week. We love you and we praise you. Amen.